0: morning we are launching uh, our summer preaching series, which follows a dramatic television series entitled The Chosen. You can watch these episodes for free on your laptop or iPad. They are thought-provoking and engaging, and each week as you watch the series, uh, you can join us in the chapel at 9.30 for a discussion about the episode, and then our preaching here in the sanctuary will also align with the episode. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Old Testament, uh, the Book of Isaiah, and the first episode of The Chosen, as it opens, there is a young girl in the year 2 BC, and she's staring up at a new bright star because she cannot sleep and she is afraid, and her father asks her to recall these words spoken centuries earlier to the people of Israel. This is Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 8. Listen now for the word of the Lord. But now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Saba in exchange for you, because you are precious in my sight, and honored, and I love you. I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give them up and to the south. Do not withhold. Bring my sons from far away and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who was called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, the truth is things had gone terribly wrong, terribly, terribly wrong. The good old days of King David, they were long gone. Thanks to the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar, the Israelites lost their mighty temple back in 587 BC. And along with that, they lost their way of living, their sense of belonging. They actually lost everything. Their homes, their status, their power, their stability, their dreams, their 401Ks. They could not go to prom. They lost their friendships. They deferred all of their plans. Their families were separated and strained. Regardless of how faithful or good or precious they were, none of it was fair. They suffered the trauma of being forced out of their homeland in order to survive, and yet many did not. Scholars predict as many as 15,000 men, women, and children landed in and around Babylon, and they were exiled. And there are temples for the mighty god Marduk and the moon god Sin. Those were the temples that were front and center. And you'd think that this was bad enough. Because, yes, the Israelites, they were victims, but they were also allowed to build homes and work on farms and grow families and even worship their God, Yahweh. But somewhere along the way, as the weeks turned to months and the months turned to years and the years turned into decades, they lost touch with their God and one another. They were spiritually adrift. They couldn't remember why they worshiped in the first place or why they prayed or why they helped their neighbors until one day they just weren't feeling it. They couldn't remember why God mattered, much less their faith community, for all they knew, their God, the God of Israel, the God of the covenant, their mighty God that parted the Red Sea, lost. And so who can blame them? The harsh reality of their experiences? Suffering, tragedy, look at the world around them. All of that threatened to harden their hearts, and so they robbed, and they plundered, and they hid, and they were trapped in holes. They would not walk in God's ways, and they would not obey God's laws, because they felt abandoned, and they felt betrayed, and they felt gypped. I mean, who can blame them for questioning their identity or doubting their faith or failing to trust anyone or anything but themselves? And if our text this morning reveals the magnitude of our Creator's divine love, well, then it is in direct response to God's divine disappointment and anger in response to this reality. Who can blame them, though? Abandoned? Why not just go across the street and check out those other gods, Marduk or Sin? They were stronger. They were more popular. They were easier to access. Betrayed? Why not justify our current indulgences or indifference or greed or anger or hatred on that mistake or that decision or that tragedy or loss or accident that happened years ago after all, we did lose. Don't we deserve it? Grieved? Death to a dream or hope? Death to a loved one? Death to a future or a plan? Well, who can blame them for waiting weeks or months or even years? Resist the change. Preserve the tradition. Stop moving. Stop trying. Stop caring. Stop trusting. You see, I don't blame them. Because, what happens to any of us when our backs are against the wall? We fold, turn inward, or we turn out with our arms swinging. We overwork, we overeat, we overfunction, we overdrink, we undersleep. We snap, ignore, forget, expect the worst, we shop, we obsess about things that don't really matter. We refuse to forgive, we judge, we divide, we blame, we cry in our closets and shout in our cars. I could go on, but most of all, we fail to recognize that every other person around us is also in exile, barely hanging on, doing the best they can. And all of these experiences, they're real and they're painful and specific to each one of us. But as time goes by, the source of our collective destruction, the erosion of our relational fabric, the weakening of the ties that bind us, is our rejection of God's goodness and sovereign power. These promises we make to each other, to God at the baptismal font, the day we got married and membership, the day we got ordained. They are built on hope, a hope that God's promise is unwavering. Now listen to it. Do not fear, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. Through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. Through the fire, you won't be burned. I am with you. And why? Why? Why is that true? Why would God make this promise and keep this promise to someone like me and someone like you after all we've done and left undone? Why? After the way we've botched our parenting? Why? When God knows we spend more time watching Bridgerton or Yellowstone than paying attention to just about anything that's going on in the depths of our hearts, why does God care about Meredith and Tracy and Roy and Hannah and Susan and Bobby and Althea? Why won't God let Christie and Grant off the hook? Because, my dear friends, you are precious in God's sight. You are honored, and God loves you. And if you are precious and honored and loved, well, then so are all those other people that we don't honor or find so precious or even love. Our hope in this one promise, this promise that we are known and loved, has sustained God's people throughout history, and without this knowledge, without this truth, without this love, we are totally untethered. And we also tend to be a little bit destructive. You see, the God of vanquished Israel was at work on behalf of a tiny, inconsequential, oppressed, exiled, unfaithful group of people. Constantly creating and recreating, forming and reforming. And Isaiah reminds us that we were built for love. We were designed for relationships with one another and with God. And so what if love, it's a two-way street. What if love only flourishes when we are open and receptive and loving in return? What if, as Paul Hansen writes, love is not an imposition but an invitation to reciprocity, and if this is the case, what are we supposed to do with the fact that this God of ours built us for love? What if the entire thing, the whole thing, the source of God's motivation and purpose, the core of who God is and what God does, what if the whole thing is about love? What if the point of your existence is love? If love is the beginning and love is the end, then why is it so hard? Why is worshiping God on the list of things to get done? Why do we fight about laundry and politics and money and religion? Why do we hesitate to share anything, our time, our money, our attention? What if suffering is a prelude to healing? What if we need to be broken? before we can ever understand what wholeness really means. What if tragedy and hope coexist, and as much as we try to control our lives in order to avoid pain and suffering, love is the end goal anyway. Why is that thing, that situation, that violation, that thing you lost, the old guilt, the old betrayal, the mistake, the old heartbreak, the parent, the teacher, the pandemic, the boss, the accident, the regret, that mistake, the consequence, that whole story. What if that whole thing? Why does that whole thing, that story, take precedent over this story? God's story of salvation and God's promise of love and hope in your life right now and in the future. Yes, it happened. Yes, it shaped your life. Yes, you may still be confused and hard-hearted and even hurt. Yes, there's probably a scar. You may still be living in exile, but now, the first two words of our passage say, but now, that is only part of your story. It's not who you are. You see, you have been called by name. You are precious you are honored, you are loved, for exactly who God created you to be and who you are being called to be. Let us pray. God of compassion and grace, you call us to this place to remember the promise of forgiveness, the promise of hope, the promise of faithfulness. We hear you whispering from the depths of our hearts. We even catch glimpses between sound bites and flashes of terror on our screens. But honestly, oh God, we are tired of having to look so hard. Sometimes your voice is hard to hear. Like your exiled people, we can be afraid, divided, angry, weary, confused. And so we beckon you to remember also what the prophet Isaiah wrote, those promises of a new heaven and a new earth where the old things will be remembered no more. Remember, God, when you said, Be glad, rejoice in what you created. Remember that our cities should be cities of joy and our people shall be called a delight. No more shall the sound of weeping be heard. No more shall there be an infant who lives only a few days or an old person who does not live an entire lifetime. No more shall the blessing of children feel out of reach for some. No more shall there be illnesses that steal those we love like a thief in the night. No more shall there be children without homes or food or parents. No more shall there be bars behind shiny windows hiding broken souls. No more shall there be loved ones too proud to say I'm sorry. No more will there be leaders caught in the pursuit of wealth and power. This promise of your love powerful enough to cover, powerful enough to sustain, powerful enough to overcome even death, we give you thanks for this renewed promise. And we give you thanks for calling us by name and for your promise of salvation and grace and hope in the future made real in your son who taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done
1: So let us participate in that new creation by offering our gifts to God. Let us now together dedicate our gifts to God. Let us pray. God of many names, we give ourselves into the hand of your continuing creativity, our past and its joys and triumphs, its failures and regrets, our present with its struggles and accomplishments, its hopes and setbacks, our future with its fears and freedom, its pain and possibility. Trusting the spirit that breathes life, trusting the love that will not let us go, trusting the promise of the word made flesh. Amen. You all may be seated.
0: Three years ago, no one could have ever imagined what was going to happen in the life of our world, uh, in our city, uh, in, in here in this church. And there were some very unassuming but faithful elders who stepped up to the plate. Uh, not only did they steady the ship through turbulent times, but they led us through many a storm with good courage and commitment and faithfulness. Um, and they're leaving the session once an elder always an elder lest you all need to be reminded but they are leaving our church in a very good position we are poised for the journey ahead uh, and we are visioning for a bright future once again here at Selwyn Uh, I would like to honor uh, the class of 2022 Um, they have each received a unique cross that um, has a piece of scripture on the back of it and it is designed in the Scottish tradition. If you haven't gotten yours, it's up here and you need to get it. Um, Kip Kiger, uh, stand up if you guys are here. Kip Kiger, Janice Finan, Bailey King, Allison Tide, Andy Bentley, Emily Cox, Alyssa Sharp, Emily Kincaid, Clark Walton, and Tom Moore. We thank you so much for the gifts that you have shared this time. be seated it's now with great gratitude and joy that I introduce to you all the incoming class of 2025 um, to read more about them there's an insert in your bulletin and as I call your name I invite you to find a place here uh, in front of the congregation um, facing the congregation for your ordination and installation questions uh, Roy Koppelman Susan Lemon, Althea Muldrew, Tracy Northen, Bobby Yerkatat, Grant Armistead, Jody Bolowitz, Libby Guinan, Christy Horn, and Hannah King. God did good work and we are grateful that you all are here. Christy and Grant and Jody have previously been ordained, so they will be answering these questions for installation.
1: We are all called into the Church of Jesus Christ by baptism and marked as Christ's own by the Holy Spirit. It's our common calling to be disciples and servants of the Lord. Within the community of the church, some are called to particular service as teaching and ruling elders, recognizing the importance of each office the church ordains in order to assure fulfillment of the primary responsibilities of preaching the word, administering the sacraments, ordering and governing the church, and providing the ministries of care and compassion in the world. There are a variety of gifts, but it is the same Spirit who gives them. There are different different ways ways of serving serving God, God, but
2: but it is is the the same
1: Lord who is served. God works through each person in a unique way, but it is God's purpose that it is accomplished. To To each each is given a gift of the Spirit spirit to be used used for the common common good. good. Together we are the body of Christ and individually members of it okay good elders we're going to be like the voice of God coming
0: in through your ears from back here okay (laughs) do you trust in Jesus Christ your Savior acknowledge him Lord of all and head of the church and through him believe in one God Father Son and Holy Spirit do you
1: do you accept the scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be by the Holy Spirit the unique and authoritative witness to Jesus Christ in the church universal and God's word to you. Do you?
0: Do you sincerely receive and adopt the essential tenets of the reformed faith as expressed in the confessions of our church as authentic and reliable expositions of what scripture leads us to believe and do? And will you, Be instructed and led by those confessions as you lead the people of
1: God. Do you and will you? Will you fulfill your ministry in obedience to Jesus Christ under the authority of Scripture and be continually guided by our confessions? Will you?
0: Will you be governed by our church's polity and will you abide by its discipline? Will you be a friend among your colleagues in ministry, working with them, subject to the ordering of God's word and
1: spirit, will you? Will you in your own life seek to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, love your neighbors, and work for the reconciliation of the world, will you?
0: Do you promise to further the peace, unity, and purity of the church, do you?
1: Will you pray for and seek to serve the people with energy, intelligence, imagination, and love? Will you?
0: Will you be a faithful ruling elder watching over the people, teaching, yeah, ruling, uh, watching over the people, providing for their worship, nurture, and service? Will you share in government and and discipline, serving in the councils of the church and in your ministry? Will you try to show the love and justice
1: of Jesus Christ? Will you? Will you be faithful, teaching charity, urging concern, and directing the people's help to find the friendless, and to those in need? And in your ministry, will you try to show the love and justice of Jesus Christ? Will you?
0: The laying on of hands is an ancient tradition, a form of prayer that has been passed down from generation to generation. It is our tradition that if you've not been previously ordained, I left Bobby out before, you have been, then uh, you are invited to turn towards the cross, uh, and if elders, um, anyone that's been ordained, if you all will come forward as they kneel as you were able, you don't have to, um, lay your hands uh, on these folks as we pray over them. I forgot, I'm sorry, I forgot the congregational questions of ordination, which are kind of a big deal. I'm sorry. All right, y'all
2: ready?
1: Yeah, let's do that. Do we members of the church accept these men and women as elders, chosen by God through the voice of this congregation to lead us in the way of Jesus Christ? We do. Do we agree to encourage them to respect their decisions and to follow as they guide us, serving Jesus Christ, who alone is head of the church?
0: And now we can pray. Let us pray. Everlasting God of all beginnings and God of all endings, who in your infinite wisdom and grace established the church to proclaim the coming of the reign of Christ to a violent and troubled world, we thank you this morning for establishing this church in this community some 85 years ago, that it might be as a light on the hill. We thank you for Selwyn's rich history and for its present congregation of your people. We thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for your providence and your provisions, which have made possible the fulfilling of many hopes and dreams of these your people gathered today. We pray for your blessing on these, your servant leaders, whom you have called to lead and shepherd this congregation. May they walk and work together as disciples on the road to Emmaus did. And may they also encounter the resurrected Christ and be enlightened by him and together with him break the bread that feeds the hungry frees the enslaved, and gives eternal life to all who believe. Heavenly one, may their love of one another make it possible for them to do great things in this community and in this city. And if the evil one should seek to divide them or to lead them astray, enlighten them and sustain them and unite them in love for one another and for you. We ask that you would make us great, not make us great in numbers, but rather great in passion not great in the eyes of humanity, but great in ministry to the world, never satisfied with mediocrity, but always striving for the excellence which is worthy of your blessing. Grant that future generations will look back and thank you for these loving elders and this loving congregation which showed love to a loveless world. We pray this in the name of Jesus, the head and Lord of the church, and all God's people said amen. By the authority of the Presbytery of Charlotte, I now declare that you all are installed as elders of Selwyn Avenue Presbyterian Church. Serve well. And now to all of you, as they hug and shake hands, go ahead and do that. good friends, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which surpasses all understanding, dwell in your hearts in your minds until we meet again. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now and forevermore. Amen.